there, and welcome to another edition of the Gobeski Wallace Report. I'm Adam Gobeski. And I'm Charlie Wallace. Uh, today we're going to do the third installment of our uh, Sci-Fi Shuffle series. We are going to discuss the 1973 animated film, Fantastic Planet. And we've got three guests with us today. We've got the person who chose the film, Paul Wilcox. It's great to be here, and you're welcome. <laughs> Kevin Vredevogue. Excited to be here. And Doug Bessie. Thanks for having me. So this is our first animated sci-fi movie. It's also our first French sci-fi movie, at least in this. I guess there was a semantic respect that was French. That's true. And sci-fi. <laughs> yeah. It's our first Czech sci-fi film. I mean, it is our third movie, so it has the potential to be a lot of firsts. But it also could end up being like a lot of lasts, too. <laughs> That's true. We all hated this so much. <laughs> we'll never watch another French film. Oh, I just thought you were going to stop at film. <laughs> Only movies for me. <laughs> just imagining someone who like hadn't seen movies before, and then they were like, I don't really like them. Well, what did you watch? I watched uh, Fantastic Planet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's pretty much it, though. <laughs> so, I'm not sure if that's for me. I think I'm going to go back to books. <laughs> now, I recognize that it is technically an animated film, as you said. But, man, something just makes me want to describe it as an illustrated film instead yeah, of animated. Yeah. They went to uh, some lengths, I think, to retain the style of illustrator Roland Topor. I should say at the outset, I don't speak French, so I will probably not get these pronunciations quite right. But uh, this movie is a collaboration between Roland Topor, who is probably better known as an illustrator, although he's also an author and stuff. Kind of an interesting guy. He co-founded the Panique Movement in the 60s, along with Alejandro Hodorowski and uh, a gentleman named Fernando Arabal where basically their goal was to sort of reclaim surrealism to make it weird and shocking again, instead of what it had become since the time of like Dolly and whatnot. Obviously, uh, Hodorowsky went on to do lots of movies, things like El Topo and The Holy Mountain. Topor kind of stayed more in the illustrator and author side of things. He does some stuff and he occasionally shows up in movies. Like, I think he's in a Werner Herzog movie. If I remember this correctly, he's Renfield in Nosferatu, the Herzog version. The look of the film is uh, very much his style of illustration with the sort of like the cross hatching and stuff. He worked on this with an uh, animator named uh, Rene Lelou, who had experienced some success as like an animator of short films. And so he got together with Topor and they were like, let's do a full length animated movie. The slight problem with that is that France basically had virtually no animation studios. I think I read somewhere that you could basically count the number of French animated movies on one hand at that point. So they went to Czechoslovakia where there was actually a reasonably thriving animation community. This happened in the late 60s. Things got delayed a bit because the Soviet Union invaded, and so that caused some issues, but I think things went forward ultimately because France was like, we're paying money, you need money. You know, it took them a while to animate just because, you know, animation projects take a while. So, so that's why it eventually came out in 1973. But uh the movie itself is based on a French book called Almond Siri. Again, I do not pronounce French well, so apologies. Uh, that's by an author named Stefan Wool. Not sure how to pronounce this. And that story was 
broadly what we get here. Oh, and uh, this is a movie that um, was, as you may have seen, depending on the version of the film you saw, was awarded the Grand Prix Special Jury Prize at the Cannes Film Festival. So this fulfills Paul's personal criteria of wheat-based films. (laughs) <laughs> yes <laughs> it's gotta have the weed on the front <laughs> i'm kind of curious about like I, I i didn't actually look in much into the actual animation techniques nuts and bolts of it or anything but i just find it interesting i i just wonder if there was anything different than that they were doing you know than the prevailing you know animation of the time I kind of picked up on some of what you're describing there, like in terms of illustrated versus animated. Like if you compare it to, uh, I don't know what Walt Disney movies would have come out around the same time. Frame rate is not the word I'm looking for, but it wasn't unusual for this movie to like show a face reacting to something and really only have it be two or three total images rather than someone who was moving like in real time, you know, their, their mouth shaping into an O it was just a, a face making an O shape to kind of indicate whatever emotion they were feeling. Uh, Yeah. Or it would do like the, the fade transitions in between. Yeah. Yeah. Shots like, you know, kind of like the animated story books that I remember watching as a kid, like Curious George and stuff. I thought no, of exactly like that Rainbow. same thing. That's crazy. Uh, the Fool in the Flying Ship was, for some reason, something that kept getting invoked in my mind when I was watching this. If anyone happened to see that weird Robin Williams narrated classic, I, I will find information and share it later. Lovely. The, the reason why I said illustrated was... Certainly what you're saying there, where the animation is sparse in terms of things actually moving, but more that, uh, like, so much of the animation that we're used to is a lot of, like, flat colors, you know, stuff that can be easily transitioned from one frame to the next, whereas this is essentially, like, uh, colored pencil drawings, and... They're doing it in a way where it's not going all over the place like it's Dr. Katz. Like, it's pretty steady. So So I guess before we launch more in-depth into this, we should probably just take a step back and just ask Paul, first of all, uh, was there a particular reason that you chose this movie, that this came up in the shuffle, or did you just hit next on your iPod? I would say the main reason, aside from just lots of uh, research into what should I do, what what animated movie am I going to make you guys watch? Um, it was a good friend of mine, circa you know maybe two thousand three ish, called and left me a voicemail and said, "Paul, you've really got to watch the movie Fantastic Planet. I think it's, it's you'll really like it. It's exactly what you want." Oh, so it only took you 20 Fantastic years. Planet. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Because I've never, never watched it until, until now. Well, he had to find out if he could get fulfillment from life any other way. <laughs> <laughs> about time he tried this. Like, thanks for the recommendation. But I'm, I'm going to try just about everything else. First. <laughs> <laughs> so then you hadn't seen this before. So basically at one point it was put on during a house party you know, without sound in the background. So I was somewhat familiar with the style of it and like some of, you know, what the art and animation looked like. 
but I had never never actually sat down and watched it. Just was kind of exposed to it. What about you, Doug? Had you seen this before? Yes, I actually have seen this before. Uh, I watched it a couple years ago on HBO Max because I was just searching through HBO Max to see what movies they had on there, and I was like, oh. This is a movie that Adam got the Criterion Blu-ray of. I wonder if it's any good. And so I watched it then, and I watched it again now. Yep, dug out at me. I have the Criterion Blu-ray. I think shortly after I really realized Criterion Blu-rays were like a thing that I enjoyed. So I guess I have to thank Charlie for that, because Cinematic Respect was doing Solaris. And so I decided to buy the the Blu-ray, and I was really impressed by it. So then Uh I found out Barnes & Noble had criterion sales and so i think this was one of the first set of movies that i picked up on whatever sale that was well probably the second set because i the first set was with doug and that was like with i bought like repo man and stuff but yeah it's probably like the second set and watched it then and was like yep that's a weird movie but i'm not sad that i watched it or anything like that (laughs) (laughs) it's weird right kevin yeah, Kevin, who had or had not seen this before, I I saw the weird Cronenberg monster looking thing on HBO Max, like as the little poster they put up for it. I think you have looks... to be way more specific on which monster that is. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's only in the movie, as it turns out, for all of three seconds. Uh, there, it has a bunch of eyes. It's oh, okay. faintly oh, yeah. pyramidy or kind of like a hill or mountain shaped long spindly um, legs. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah, that's the poster on HBO Max. I said this looks wow. upsetting and clicked <laughs> it. I I watched it the first time for the first I'd guess 20 25 minutes sometime around when the adult drags are like turning into colors and kind of morphing with each other. I don't know exactly what was going on there, but I declared it too much and and left Never to return again until several months later for this podcast. (laughs) I don't know what I'm watching, but I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Why can't we do that? Is this a sex thing? It seems like (laughs) a sex thing. Wait, merge together. (laughs) I hope this doesn't awaken (laughs) something in me. (laughs) It wasn't a Dalmatian. You're fine. Yeah, we're not watching Zootopia. <laughs> or its newly announced sequel. Yeah, <laughs> really? Yep. So I assume it's called Tootopia, but <laughs> it's maybe Zootopia. that's not right. I'm excited for that because it did awaken. Uh, well, anyway. I... <laughs> <laughs> Glad we have a tag. <laughs> Charlie? I don't have much to say. I hadn't seen it. I know that Adam had suggested it at one point, and I had almost started watching it a few times and, for whatever reason, chosen other things. Because it had a weird Cronenberg monster as the poster in HBO Max? Yes. It's kind of like, uh, I don't know if I'm in the mood for that right now. (laughs) I may be someday. It's hard to get into that mood. I know. It's the sort of movie that, like, I would totally watch if it came on, like, in the middle of the night, <laughs> like, on cable or something. I'd be like, oh, what's, what's this? Bed, and the TV just springs to life and it's on. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a real 2 a.m. movie, huh? Yeah. I couldn't sleep, and so I put this on, and now I don't want to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs it? <laughs> 
So anyway, yeah. So now that we know what our relative experiences were, uh, let's go back to the animation. Well, the the one other thing I kind of wanted to mention about that was that it had like this feeling to me, like the the way the the characters, like appendages and stuff, were were animated. Almost reminded me of like paper cutout type animation, like a yeah. little limited range of motion, or like like the Monty Python shorts. Was oh, one yeah. of the first thing that came to mind when I actually saw this movie, I was like, oh, it's like Monty Python. Uh, I did read in the the accompanying Criterion essay which is also available online that a part of the animation was paper cutouts so yeah oh okay cool so humans as vermin yeah it starts out with that giant blue hand flicking a mother and her child <laughs> it's a yeah, tough start <laughs> it's pretty tough yeah, sorry it, yeah it, it really um really tells you about the dangers of leaving the blue man group unchecked <laughs> <laughs> What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas forever. <laughs> Wait, is this some this some sort of H.G. Wells movie? Did he like write the... What Happens in Vegas? <laughs> no, I mean that it's uh, set far in the future, like the time machine. Yeah, so maybe one of the things we should just mention is that uh, the human-like characters are called Alms, O-M, but that's a pawn in French because the word for human in french is om h-o-m-m-e pronounced the same way this movie is full of like things like that weird little french puns and things where i you're just i'm always kind of wondering about the translations too like that the main character's name is tear and so they right. make a planet called tear and i'm like okay well i get that in english it must be the same in french right or yeah so the word for earth and french i believe is terra which I believe is the name of the planet that the alm the alms originally come from. Which is Earth, like right? I, I, yeah, yeah. You know, and then they show like the black and white illustrations of Earth and the possible civilization that maybe the alm created. Yeah, but there's like pictures of like you know collapsed buildings and broken railroad tracks and stuff that actually made me kind of wonder. It's like, oh, is this supposed to be like a Earth after some disaster, either natural or man-made kind of thing covid19 covid19 covid23 or sorry <laughs> h5n1 h5n1 covid23 and me <laughs> <laughs> that's great that's paul said that so i don't want to steal his valor <laughs> but yeah i think the uh the clear inference we're meant to make is that the alm are people humans us and I don't know whether they said whether they had invaded Earth and taken the humans or whether the humans had gotten off of Earth. And I don't. Yeah, maybe it's not even clear. Like my understanding was they they're interstellar travelers. And so they went to Earth, picked up some humans as pets, as one does. Yeah, that that's got out right. of hand because that's where they got the, the films or the whatever they call the black and white pictures of uh, Earth that we saw. I did have one thing that I wasn't 100% clear on. So they said something about films of the planet. So I assume that was footage that their explorers took. And the reason why it was in black and white sketch looking was essentially a, a stylistic choice to show that it's it's these animated people watching a film. I think that's a reasonable inference, yeah. Mm. Okay. I mean, yeah, they're, really, they, they're, they're, it's not like meditative vision or anything like that. You know, like 
<laughs> not beamed straight straight into the brain. Yeah, it's, it's not like the funny TV. the idea of them sitting there looking at a screen of a meeting when they can oh, just yeah. put some sort of device on their head and just have transmissions go straight in. <laughs> I guess they they can't let go of the office either. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the fate of the people who are all in on the metaverse. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, really, this is just, this is actually what inspired uh, Horizon Worlds. <laughs> <laughs> you put this device on your head, and then you can go virtually watch a television in a big meeting room. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, we here we are at La Planet Sauvage. <laughs> As you can see, the drags are meeting with other interstellar travelers. <laughs> Yeah, I guess we talk about the title too, because in English it's Fantastic Planet, and what in French it's Le Planet Sauvage. Is that what it is? Yeah, and yeah, which wild is not is my understanding. Yeah, not the literally the same translation. <laughs> yeah, the uh, it's very jarring for the captions to translate it as Wild Planet. I mean, it's also worth noting that in the movie, the Wild Planet is actually the moon, not the planet they're on for most of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nomenclature issues all over the place here. I guess they thought Fantastic Planet might be a catchier title. It's the 70s, yeah. Wild Moon is kind of cool. Nobody else thinks Wild Moon is kind of cool. I'd watch it, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. Wild Moon in English sounds like it's going to be a Western. Or maybe a werewolf movie. Or like a Uh, coming of age story for, like, you know, about Hippie's daughter. Yeah, that's true, too. All right, let's find out what Wild Moon is. <laughs> <laughs> we got enough guesses. It's got to be one of those. <laughs> Fingers crossed on the the uh, werewolves. All right, the top hit on DuckDuckGo is Wild Moon, a rejected mate romance, book one in a new Wolf Shifter trilogy. <laughs> no. So it's Amazon on-demand published wolf smut is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> So you want to discuss the themes of the movie, Charlie? Sure, let's do it. This movie's pretty funny in a lot of parts, actually. <laughs> it's just the oh. dialogue that a lot of the aliens aliens give, which is kind of a clue to the themes to me. Which is like as as weird and as alien and strange things that they do. They a lot of things, especially how they talk about the humans, is very much how we talk about pets and vermin and rodents and things. Do you have any examples? Like Frisky. Like, don't That's give, give, that, trying... give that animal a name like Frisky. <laughs> don't give it a... T- That's when I was wondering a real what name. the French words they used were, you know, or what, right. what the names were. <laughs> were they just random, like, French dog names? Probably, yeah. But And then we meet a human later whose actual name is Frisky. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we get a lot of that where it's like, they kind of talk like us and they are kind of ignorant in the same sort of ways we are when we talk about other living creatures or the environment or whatever. Did you like that? I did like that. Yeah. How did it make you feel? It felt like they were us and then the humans were other animals or like, like said the environment or whatever. That's kind of what I was thinking. The whole thing was about like the way that we underestimate animals intelligence. Like, Oh, it's just a dumb. I don't know why this, you know, dog is doing this dumb thing. <laughs> He's so crazy. But they've got some perfectly good reason for that. It's because you can't understand it. <laughs> yeah. And put yeah. them in silly clothes. 
I mean, this is I didn't think about this till now, Adam. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Battlefield Earth. <laughs> And I looked it up, and yes, Battlefield Earth, the book, comes after this. So, L. Ron Hubbard's a hack, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Because I definitely had that. I don't know if I had that feeling watching it the first time, but when I looked at the plot synopsis before we watched it again, just sort of refresh my memory. I was definitely looking at it and go, well, wait, this is just Battlefield Earth, except minus the parts about gold. (laughs) <laughs> minus the economic subplot <laughs> the cgi tongues <laughs> no no he changed the guy's name from tear to turl he, he changed the letter <laughs> no that's not barry pepper's name barry pepper's name it's was different johnny what was barry pepper was it johnny i think so why do you know that you haven't seen the movie uh i read the plot synopsis on wikipedia earlier today Ah, okay. <laughs> so then you also felt it was like Battlefield Earth a bit? I didn't even think about it until I was in the middle of talking. <laughs> <laughs> Adam just Socrates you straight into that one, really. But here the drug are much more like us, I'd say, like ignorant in a relatable way as opposed to Battlefield Earth where the aliens well, are just the like... You cyclos ang- relatable? <laughs> talking about economics... Gold. <laughs> but I mean, for the drug, at least it was believable that they might have created the society and the technology <laughs> that they have. <laughs> so, yeah, one way to read this movie, I think, definitely is sort of an animal rights viewpoint of like, oh, this is how we treat animals and stuff. How would we like it if we were treated that way? But another thing I've read is that uh, some people have interpreted this as a racism thing. That the drag are subjugating the arm. Yeah, I mean, sure. Yeah. What do you think about that, Kevin? Kevin I wasn't talked enough. Did, no, I was. Yeah, I I didn't think about that. I kind of picked up on the animal rights aspect of it. I guess you'd have to take like the size difference a little bit less literally and more a like the power they have in society without thinking about it for another couple minutes i couldn't say for sure i like that reading better or worse but at least the the animal rights reading is maybe the more literally presented one in the movie Uh, i see what you're saying especially if you just for a moment forget about like the direct like animal pet comparisons they make at the beginning which i mean it makes sense to do right if you just stop thinking about that for a minute then yeah that it's very easy to make that connection like withholding of knowledge and technology and like the underestimation or like yeah and i mean once they start the full-on genocide portion of the film yeah and like they're driven you know they're basically refugees you know going to this defunct uh you know rocket junkyard junkyard yeah i was like i was ready for the movie to be weird but i wasn't ready for there to be like mass human extermination well one other interpretation i've seen advanced is that uh this is actually meant to reference the holocaust in some way i definitely felt that a bit and for what it's worth roland topor was jewish so or at least his parents were i guess i don't know if he was practicing but so yeah the the extermination of what's considered to be a lesser species that doesn't can't learn and is unintelligent and the use of gas to kill them, I think, has led to certain connections being made there. Yeah, and it being such a mechanized 
process in general. Yeah. yeah. The, the gas and the, the various machines. The magnifying glass, frying them like ants. Oh. Yeah, they really displayed a whole array of, of methods at the end there. Yep. Had a glue ball, uh, a vacuum. So from anyone's research or from any of your viewings, were were all of your interpretations of the movie, I guess I don't want to say kind of taking it at face value, but more, you know, uh, the movie presented literally the the ideas it was trying to, you know, send across. There was there wasn't like that deep a layer of subtext. It's either like animal rights, you know, because we're oppressing the animals or, or a racism allegory because, you know, we're being sh- uh, a minority group um you know is is this movie one that's supposed to be taken i don't want to say fairly literally but i can't think of a better way to phrase it right now you know like what you see is basically what it's trying to pitch it it feels like a movie that has more under the surface and every now and then i picked up on like little things i thought it was almost going a biblical direction at one point because they were in the tree and they had stolen knowledge and uh, there was almost that weird pseudo communion ritual they were doing um, oh, yeah then but they got i wasn't out of eden I wasn't really able to connect those dots. Like there were dots I found scattered around, but like I wasn't able to paint a full picture. I'm just curious if anyone else picked up on anything biblical or otherwise. You know, I I definitely noticed that. In fact, like when when we got to that part of the movie and they're basically like, "Oh, forbidden knowledge." I was like, "Is this going to turn into a movie that's strictly about the Ohms and their zealots versus knowledge people or something?" And, you know, it didn't turn out that way, but I uh, could have easily seen it just becoming only that. I did the one time I did laugh out loud in the movie because I just wasn't expecting it was I think right when he gets to the tree, like the narrator out of nowhere says, like, from the beginning, the wizard hated me. And just like the fact that they were introducing someone named the wizard into this. Like, oh, God, this is going to be about village elders versus, you know, a forbidden knowledge newcomer. And that's just going to be the whole everything from here on out. And thankfully, they, they got over that aspect of it. I, I appreciate and it again out to the rival like tribe as well, which was nice. Whether there was a deeper subtextual meaning or otherwise, like I I appreciated them showing like the the weird little culture that had developed in the the wild ohms, like that they are still inherently human and creating their own religion or whatever the hell you want to call it. They're still factionalized, like the uh, the tree people versus the hollow bush people. That was one of the more interesting parts of the movie for me, just kind of seeing how their society had developed such that it was. Um, even on this weird planet. Yeah, they've had their entire co-evolution of society uh, amongst the abandoned park. Mm-hmm. Their fight to the death. <laughs> yeah. As a nice little piece of culture they invented. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, strap strap with a really angry <laughs> to yourself and fight by proxy, but also actually fight, actually try to kill <laughs> And then, like, what I took it to be some kind of uh, mating ritual of running into the ladies, run into the forest or something. Oh, after oh, they sure. light yeah. themselves up. Yeah. Mm. Pairing off, yeah. Yep. 
And I guess, and I did not think about this until about three seconds ago, The another set of dots I didn't really connect and don't know if they're part of the broader picture, like the tame ohms being forced to fight, like the two that had their hair tied together uh, versus yeah. the ones who had developed their own society with language, but were still fighting each other, like whether that was a comment on our nature or what. Like I said, no idea if there's a broader picture there, but... Just an interesting connection between those two different groups of people. I thought it was kind of cool that they were being treated like Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> this whole society is based around people's people's little creatures fighting each other. <laughs> oh, there was even the Jigglypuff who just sang and then got choked out. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I thought that was a very interesting way to take it because I just assumed like he's going to escape and he's going to meet with the other humans and they're going to welcome him and then they're going to fight back. But no, there's a lot of similarity between the drags and the ohms. And so we've been talking a lot about themes and stuff, but I'm not sure we've really just properly discussed just how trippy this movie oh, it's weird. is to <laughs> yeah. watch. It's almost, I mean, the entire movie is a trip. Like there's, there's obviously an overarching plot but, like, I would say there's no character development whatsoever. It's just, like, going from weird scene to weird scene with a light narrative structure kind of weaved in there. Yeah, there's two parts to the movie. Like, there's the part that's going on where they're telling the story. And then there's parts where they just have a scene of something it seems like they wanted to draw <laughs> and design. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, don't humans walking by it. It's weird and dangerous itself. <laughs> <you know? laughs> like, because some of the stuff was, like, dangerous to the ohms but then other stuff they were just walking by like that weird thing and like the plant cage that would pick up the fish from the air and just throw them on the ground for fun <laughs> and they were, giggle they were just... quietly to itself don't mind him if you're not a fish flying for a creature it won't bother you don't worry <laughs> it felt like there was a bigger story there like why is there like an animal that evolved to make clothes for tiny people like <laughs> like there yeah. it almost was like some hints as to what the hell was going on evolutionarily on that planet but again it just wasn't like a a full picture it's just a weird planet man Weird stuff happens. <laughs> I mean, yeah. in a way, aren't spiders uh, making clothes for bugs? <laughs> what? Uh, I was. I, I mean, thought you were going in like a prior. silk direction until the four <laughs> bugs thing. <laughs> yeah. Prior to their their liquefaction. No, no, no. Silk <laughs> comes from silkworms, and I don't think those wrap other people in the silk. Whereas spiders. Spiders like to swaddle you like a baby. Yeah. Make you nice and comfy. <laughs> so, I mean, if you just take away the whole murder and dissolution of your insides and then sucked out like a big gulp, if you take away that part. Oh, like a domesticated spider. That it's no not longer... that crazy, is it? I don't want to think about this. <laughs> Creeping me out. Well, I do agree that it's a pretty trippy movie. It's a lot less so on the second viewing when you know what's coming like on the first viewing instead of contemplating the subtext and all that sort of stuff it was mostly like dang this is wild what's coming next <laughs> it's even crazier look how many now eyes that thing airport has <laughs> moving walkway? what the f 
Yeah, I mean, like, geez, you look at the eyes on that thing, and it's like, what is it even looking at? You know, it's like all the action's down here by your feet, bro. You can't even see it. Yeah, it's just looking up into the sky. Yeah. Maybe it's just a dreamer. That's probably why they weren't worried about it. <laughs> They're like, yeah, just don't don't walk where he's stepping. But, <laughs> so that uh, didn't he's... happen the second time, Doug? Uh, not so much. Also, uh, I mean, I had other things to think about, like uh, looking forward to the scene where they absolutely mess up that flying anteater. Yeah. Speaking oh, of yeah. tons. Assuming that part didn't get cut. Speaking of what? Oh, long tons like in Battlefield. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, it is there. You're right, Adam. <laughs> there's there's something about the way the scene transitions are done that I feel like just really puts you in this. Uh, I felt like I was in this really like, okay, you just go with the flow. Like there's a here's another like little vignette that is yeah. connected to the previous scene you're not necessarily like what is going on you're you're i don't know i found myself kind of being like huh you know there's the potential that some of this will be explained but i'm not gonna bank on that and i this i feel like the way it's paced and transitions scene to scene it just kind of makes you sort of take in everything as like all right this is what this world is like you just uh, accept it as fact everyone else is so kind of go with the flow yeah it's like uh kevin was saying that yeah the illustrated sort of nature gives it that storybook feel it's just like oh yeah this is the part where they bathe in the blood of their enemies and now we've moved on to the next (laughs) (laughs) yeah like huh that's interesting at first it's kind of like oh they they're probably pretty thirsty and this is good nutrients but now i'm wondering why they shower in it too yeah Yeah, he showered (laughs) in the blood of his enemies but then, yeah, like the next scene, like at one point shows like the the skeleton of the, the ant flying anteater, the flying purple people eater. Oh, yeah. Like it, it implies that they did harvest it up all properly and everything. All I could think and, and just that time passed was uh, if they had shown it from a different angle, there probably would have been a bunch of tiny skeletons inside that big skeleton. Now, I'm thinking about the way time kind of passes, like. I wonder if this was initially conceived with the idea that there was going to have to be voiceover, like a narrator or not, or if that was something that was a little more like, how do we make a story out of this without as many clues? Because I'm imagining the movie without oh, the narration. They must have known there was a narrator, because like, the last five minutes of the movie, if they thought that that stood on its own, like, okay, they land on a planet... And there's a bunch of weird headless statues, and then they start dancing, and everyone just starts shooting. Like, if they thought that that made a coherent story without the narrator saying, well, obviously we figured out that they were space boning. Like, there's just... I have... I struggle to believe they can't have known that it was necessary to explain what was happening there. I feel like I've encountered movies that... That's, like, the difference between this and, say, like... Like, I could see this movie without the voiceover. Like, I could see it being as big of a thing, but it would be harder to take a story from it, and there'd be, like, more interpretation and stuff. That's But it is not outlandish to me that this movie could have existed without any of that voiceover. I I, I feel like I've seen stuff that is, especially animations, like I'm thinking of. I don't know, weird stuff like, uh, what's that movie, Cat Soup? I don't know. I'm just thinking of anime That's short films true. at this oh. at this point. I think it's a Masaki Iwasa movie, but I can't remember now. 
But anyways, like I've seen things that had similar weirdness to this, but with no explanation. And so you, you just like have a lot less to go on. I could see like as a viewer of the movie, like, yeah, if you took out the narration and you just had, again, let's say those last five minutes presented without narration it would make it very interesting there would be more room for interpretation you could kind of piece it together what is making me crack up a little bit is thinking about from like the humans perspective in the movie they land on this planet they obviously don't have a narrator explaining what's happening they see these (laughs) statues dancing and their first instinct is just like we have to shoot everyone now (laughs) like to me that is just fantastic they want to get stepped on I guess, and but like this is like their final revenge. Like their species has been. But did they even know that they were taking like, revenge? All they saw were these gigantic rock monsters like <laughs> dancing around with each no, other. They, they, they saw, saw the, the orbs. They saw the orbs. They I knew they were drug. Guess, yeah, yeah. They were like, I don't know what this is, but this isn't good because this <laughs> is rock. <laughs> Look, man, you you go to the promised land and it's full of your oppressors just getting freaky with it and you're (laughs) not going to be upset. Shoot first, ask questions later. I mean, it works out, you know? Yeah, you know, you're just like, no, man, no, 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 blam, 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 blam. I just want to say that this whole conversation about narration versus not narration has made me imagine 2001 A Space Odyssey with a Blade Runner style narration. (laughs) (laughs) Now Bowman was a good spaceman. I mean, that (laughs) might get me to actually watch it. I don't know what Dave Bowman (laughs) saw when he looked into the monolith. (laughs) Sorry, what were you going to say, Kevin? What I did like was that they at least had the foresight to build giant space lasers into their spaceships. Like, they assumed that (laughs) was going to deteriorate when they got up there and they were ready with, you know, I don't know, statue exploding power. (laughs) They're not going to the tame planet. Right. Not going to the domesticated planet. The other funny thing about that planet is that's all, like, it's just the statues. Like, they call it the, the wild planet, but, like, I didn't see anything else there. <laughs> well, it's it's a wild planet for other reasons, Charlie. Wink, wink. <laughs> so earlier in the movie, during the lessons, and I fully admit it was difficult for me to keep up with like the early lessons because they were introducing so much new vocabulary that I wasn't quite following it. Well, I'm not sure you're actually meant to follow it. I think it's just supposed to be like, look, it's weird alien stuff. I thought they did talk about the wild planet in detail and i thought they described it as being a lot different than it turned out to be i wasn't sure if they were trying to show like they educate the children originally that it's like this ooh freaky place like don't it's bad stuff up there before finally when they hit maturity they learn the truth of the wild planet or if i completely you know misremembered or misinterpreted that it's a metaphor for how american parents teach their children about reproduction you teach them that it's dangerous and wrong and secretive and then they get to an age and you're like all right let me tell you why this is actually called the wild planet <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that being included in the lessons. It could have just been different parts of their planet that they were talking about. The different, uh, oh God, what was the word? Uvas? U-V-A, I think is how it was spelled. So sometimes me and your dad put on our pineapple shirts and meditate up to the moon. (laughs) 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 And we we meet some friends up there. One one quick aside I want to 
get in before we get too far. That movie oh. I mentioned, Cat Soup, was not Masaki Iwasa. It was Tatsuo Sato. It's an experimental short film uh, based on a manga. So oh. that's okay. the that's the story on that. And then the ending, which comes pretty abruptly, and it was <laughs> the drags are like, "Oh yeah, okay, well let's just get along now." And the elms are like, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> We all got along better when we worked together at the end. <laughs> One thing I liked about that was like large portions of the movie show the the arm running around as tiny little stick figures. But when the drogs are being attacked and they're outside their parliament, I guess, or whatever that is, like you see drogs running around as like tiny little stick figures as well. Also like in a panic. Mm. And I thought that was a nice parallel. You know, if we are taking this as an allegory for racism i don't know what it really says that the resolution in the film is that they get a separate but equal planet at the end that doesn't feel <laughs> that, that feels bad <laughs> like that i don't i don't love that necessarily okay well let's go with the environmental yeah we can... they get a nature preserve it's beautiful i don't know is there other stuff people want to talk about i kind of feel like we're uh, winding sh- down just because so much of it is weird imagery yeah one yeah. so on my first viewing we start with uh, this girl, Tiwa, Tiva. and Tivo, and uh, <laughs> you know, she raises this uh, little little ohm boy, and uh, eventually he runs away, and she tries to uh, use the collar to bring him back, and it fails, and also her dad is like the head of the government or something, and we never see her again. <laughs> i just i just thought for sure for sure there was going to be like a a subplot or like a callback at least where we were going to see something involving her and you know having the head of the government's daughter raised this uh, uh horrible monster who taught the rest of them how to rebel and you know better be vermin well, no do they know that though do okay, they know I that guess, Terror is the one who uh, brought them the gift of knowledge or whatever? However you want to phrase that. Hmm, I don't think they know that it was him. Or are they just yeah, like... They don't ever give These little bastards to. murdered one of us and now they're fighting back. This is terrible. Yeah, and now they, somehow they built rockets and are shooting our sex robots. <laughs> <laughs> they learn they're getting smarter. Like they find those boxes and they're like, they sorted all the boxes. Yeah. I don't think they ever yeah. find out that they had taken the... The learning device. Teaching device. But, yeah, yeah okay. and like Tiva knows that it's missing and she says it to her mom, but they don't provide any evidence that there's, you know, anything really beyond that. I was just like, oh, just missing piece of uh, rich knowledge um, also coincides with my missing hyper intelligent pet, um, but it's probably nothing. Well, sure, so. but it's like this the way they act towards tear the whole time it's like they think it's like your dog ran away and was carrying your laptop or something or i don't know <laughs> right yeah that's the equivalent <laughs> of them they're like the i wish that they were both here but they're not and they're gone forever <laughs> i'm sorry we'll buy you a new laptop <laughs> <laughs> the dog's been nothing but trouble <laughs> with i was surprised at this being kind of a you know uh, some kind of version of a happy ending but I feel like if it was a more, uh, I guess, mainstream movie or whatever, that it would have ended up with, yeah, like the Tiva would have been... Tiva. Like, Tiva? Tiva. (laughs) Not Tivo. He's... I said Tiva! 
You said Tivo. Did I say Tivo? Yeah. yeah I said Tiva. I, I swear I said Tiva. We'll go to the tapes later. Yeah, we'll Tell, you, tapes. Put it in the email, Charlie, because I said Tiva. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are just hearing, you guys just think I'm following Doug, but I'm looking at Wikipedia. <laughs> I'll settle the argument, but I, it's all getting cut. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The only um, part that remains. But uh, I, I feel like if it were, you know, going for like a more widespread audience, the daughter would have come back in a more instrumental way in in bringing about world peace. It would have been like Ohms versus Drag, missiles pointed at each other. Tiva comes out like with her arms spread, like "Stop, Dad!" You know that kind of thing. But this it's more of a series of loosely connected vignettes uh, so that didn't happen yeah maybe the french just don't roll that way <laughs> yeah yeah that could be. <laughs> that, i'm just putting my i'm putting my disnification onto it like i'm turning this movie into like pocahontas or something you know <laughs> there wasn't nearly enough studio interference in this film <laughs> <laughs> yeah. did anybody ever think about what the audience wants <laughs> what the common rube wants to see when they go to the cinema but yeah i forgot to mention too this like i thought it it was very funny just how the adults act towards the kids in this movie too (laughs) everyone's like get out of here where could you see we're like melding together (laughs) we're imaginationing (laughs) (laughs) like you can't you can't (laughs) put your pet away when you're studying it's distracting you I really wondered what they were doing when they were like melding together. Like, yeah, cause like that a... was not the same as the meditation thing. No, that was something else. Like that. We don't know. That was like some deep drag, like advanced yeah. stuff. Like that felt like another sex thing, but then the kid walked in and they're like, just leave. <laughs> they were like, Oh no, <laughs> yeah. get out of here. Get out. Their ways are alien to us. <laughs> I mean, fair. Yeah. <laughs> Like, it almost like is every scene you see a new crazy thing and you think, I think I was falling into this, like, okay, this is what it's, this is what the movie's actually going to be about now. Like, you know, oh, the the melding thing? Clearly, this is a major plot point. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is the sinister behind the scenes thing that they do that uh, is going to drive, drive the action. It's funny. I kind of felt the exact opposite in that every scene was just a new upsetting thing to make me upset. (laughs) (laughs) This is what they decided to throw at me now. Okay, moving along. And there's another Cronenberg monster. Spectacular. (laughs) Now here's a child getting encased in crystal. Okay. But you can just whistle your way out of it. Yeah. Which the crystal was pretty great. Which did did anybody else think that it's I thought I I thought they were almost whistling some of the musical themes that we had heard at that point. Like one of the main motifs when they were doing when uh when uh Tara was doing the whistling. Which we haven't talked about, by the way. We I, we haven't oh, talked yeah, about the music. That's like the last main thing we gotta cover. Mm. Yeah, uh, I didn't personally notice that, but that doesn't mean it wasn't happening. Well, yeah, let's talk about the music, Paul. What'd you think? Since you're the the jazz guy, and it felt vaguely jazzy at times. Yeah, I thought it was really cool. I thought it was a big big part of the appeal of the film. Like I was, I think because of the music, I think it helped a lot of the imagery go down smoother. I guess. 
you know like you could put some card like some sort of more avant-garde or like kind of uncomfortable or disturbing sort of soundtrack behind it and it would be a much more sinister movie very easily but you know it was pretty jazzy and i thought it was pretty cool time you know at times it was kind of you know had that groovy wah-wah feel the, you know and i really liked the saxophone but it was also definitely like all right this is like the sex saxophone yeah like the music's really very cool instrumentation and all that too like i i don't know yeah. i just like the the just the whole the whole vibe it's like it's a late 60s soundtrack but it's also like not like sometimes yeah, it feels like it's that kind of psychedelic jazz feeling but other times it just feels like its own thing i guess yeah like it's really scratched kind of an itch that i've been like searching for lately which was like a slightly more or like a moderately more orchestral feel to like fusion or something sometimes it just felt like really groovy really 60s but yeah then sometimes it just felt completely bespoke yeah Apparently, the main theme is very reminiscent of Pink Floyd's Adam Hart, Mother Sweet. Mm. I've never heard it, but... And I didn't even really think of Pink Floyd when I heard it. You know, like, I'm sure there was, like, various, like, rock and psychedelia influences. But it's just was unique enough and combined with the weird, you know, the otherworldliness of movie sort of made it feel like something all its own to me. Just kind of piggybacking off that otherworldliness element that you just mentioned, I think this was a movie that, at least for my viewing, uh, was dramatically better, you know, subtitled in a foreign language than than dubbed. I just I, something about the fact that I did not understand directly what anyone was saying really helped contribute to the overall atmosphere that I think it was going for. Did everyone watch it in French? I assume. I did, yeah. Okay, yeah. I just curious what the experience would have been like if it was just everyone speaking English. I think it would have, for me at least, kind of taken away from the overall effect of the movie. Yeah, because if you don't understand it, you can imagine that they're speaking different languages, mm-hmm. even though they're both speaking French. Very much so, yes. <laughs> I was just thinking to myself, like when the boy Ter runs away and encounters the girl, like, I was just thinking to myself, wow, it's certainly convenient that they both speak French. oh that's true like he was a baby when he was taken from his mother how did he learn the ohm language apparently the ohm language is the drug language i guess the ohm just only had the language of the colonizers at that point maybe maybe they just can't read is that it but they can understand them yeah like they've been in that situation for so long that their their old earth languages may have been all phased out or maybe by coincidence, they just both happen to speak languages that are identical to French. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that wouldn't be like the weirdest thing about the movie, I guess. <laughs> when they decided to make the film, they like, created it in the multiverse where that was true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, like it is not the farthest fetched of the multiverse type things that probably happened. And, you know. <laughs> So, Paul, ultimately, did you enjoy the movie? Would you recommend it? Yeah, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I would, I would recommend it to, with the qualification that if, if you can watch the trailer and think, yeah, that's the sort of thing that I, I'd be into, then you would probably like it. I think it's definitely worth seeing. How do others feel, Charlie? I would definitely recommend people see it if they, if they can look at the imagery just from screenshots. 
and say like, okay, I would be interested in seeing that, then they should see it. But I think just that can kind of tell you, I mean, maybe Kevin can speak more to that. <laughs> but I did feel like there's something about the particular design of a lot of like the creatures and the environment that, I mean, it's so alien that it's very, it's kind of creepy. A lot of it's very creepy. So if you're down with that, if you're willing to be creeped out, yeah, I'd recommend it to people. I, I, one thing I really liked too about this movie is that it's just a weird juxtaposition of like familiar thing, like familiar behavior, like from all the characters that's like very relatable to like just a completely bizarre landscape and environment. So it's like bouncing back and forth between these two things. And I kind of like that. Like, just regular people walking through a real Dolly painting. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, like I said at the beginning, uh, Roland Topor was trying to bring surrealism back in a shocking way. So I expect that's part of why this is so weird. I was not, I was not sorry I watched this. <laughs> but Charlie's highest rating. <laughs> not sorry. <laughs> as As a work of art, I'd say I found this movie compelling. The the visuals, the, I don't know, feelings it inspired, mostly negative. The music, all of it. I mean, it was great. I, I am glad I watched it. But like as a, as a story or narrative, I don't know that it was necessarily the main point, but I guess I was kind of left wanting. Like, you know, I was looking for less the narrator informing me that the weird dance the statues are doing is some weird mating ritual thing and more character development i mean it's a it's a it's a story that it almost barely has characters in it kind of jumping back to like i think it was paul's point about tivo not really being a plot (laughs) element after uh tear had run away so um overall i i am glad i watched it i would probably watch it again but i am probably not bringing it to my next family movie night you're not gonna put it on for the your kids and just leave the room and <laughs> exactly. enjoy it. They'll they'll figure it out. Levi will laugh. Isaac will be <laughs> scarred for life. But turn the subtitles <laughs> off. <laughs> oh, you, neither of them can read. I don't think that makes a big difference in this particular point. Kara <laughs> uh, didn't watch the movie with me, but she did walk in at one point, and she's like, "Oh, there's boobs in this," and I was like, "Yeah, it's a '70s movie. It's that kind of movie." <laughs> <laughs> you know, I barely even registered that. There was so much weird stuff going on. I guess there were a lot of half-naked people. Yeah. Yep. I think yep. because it's never really sexualized, yeah, you sort of quickly just sort of just like, yep, it's just part of what's happening. Right. Yeah. Like, at no point are we really encouraged to lust after any of these cartoon characters. <laughs> Is sexualized the right word? Because at one point, we see people strip down and then get chased for... Uh, sexy times i mean yeah but they don't show the sexy times and because the whole thing reads as a weird ritual that the alm have created where they eat moon fruit or whatever's happening <laughs> it's, it's not presented for the viewer's pleasure right i mean it's if not characters engaging in pleasure you know there's, there's like not the marvel a... movies it's it, it's certainly not horny. <laughs> yeah you could put this on your main account Doug what'd you think of the movie the first time around there's definitely this strong sense of uh, uncertainty about what's coming next and almost awe and wonder but like not in a uh, happy friendly way more in a terrifying way 
Second time around, you know what's coming. You're basically just kind of left with, uh, like, oh, man, I can't wait to see him mess up that anteater and then uh, mess up those statues, mess up some crystals. I guess I guess second time around, the, the only parts that I really enjoyed were the parts where they were messing stuff up. Oh, also, uh, I should have mentioned this earlier, but when they finally do kill that uh, drug, what a fair-weather friend his buddy is. <laughs> he sees a bunch of these little things attacking him and like like trying to hit him with tiny knives essentially <laughs> and and he just runs away like a huge coward what the heck these drugs suck <laughs> uh, to extend the metaphor i brought up before it's like watching just maybe a bunch of pugs suddenly whip out a bunch of knives <laughs> yeah. start going at your friend i mean yeah i would run <laughs> <laughs> I ain't no, trying man, to join you, him. <laughs> you, you bat them away. You start kicking them away. You don't try like exterminating them by stomping it's, them. You you try to like uh, you know, save your friend. You know that's really easy to say when you're not in the situation of getting attacked by tiny intelligent creatures. <laughs> like I feel like it's kind of a horse-sized duck or duck-sized horses sort of thing. <laughs> I think it just says more about the the drug socialization, really. They don't seem to be of the physical to me. That was a bad move by you know his friend, but didn't surprise me. They're like, "Hi, I can't meditate. This isn't of. I can't meditate my way out of this. I can't meditate to this." If you excuse me, I'll be in my room meditating. I'll, I'll put a put a hair tie on the door. <laughs> so yeah, I mean it's it's definitely a movie. So this was also the second time I'd seen it, but I think there'd been more time between my viewings. Like I hadn't seen it for six years almost, so it had been a while. And uh, yeah, I appreciate it. I enjoy how weird it is. I don't know that I want all sci-fi movies to be weird like this, but I'm glad that this one is weird. And uh, I, yeah, I think just what everyone else said, if this kind of sounds like your thing, you should definitely check it out. If you don't, you know, you could still check it out, but, you know, maybe be upset with us when you didn't like it. But you can't say we didn't (laughs) prep you, I guess. So if you made it to the end of this podcast without having seen the movie and have now decided whether or not to watch it. (laughs) Having had it all spoiled. Right. Not that this is a movie you can really spoil. Yeah. Yeah, You're not really getting like, ooh, I mean, the twist, you know, at the end where they were just having vicarious brain sex on the moon. Yeah. Ah, uh, but they telegraphed that so much throughout the movie. <laughs> hey, maybe you saw it coming. <laughs> so, but yeah, thanks for joining us in our discussion of uh, Fantastic Planet. And so, uh, Doug, hit that shuffle button. What do we got next? Uh, next, I think we should watch Source Code with Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh. And if you are not familiar with the movie... I strongly recommend that you don't even read a plot synopsis or anything. Just go in completely cold. All right, then. So I guess we have that to look forward to. Yeah. I hope nothing major happens like in the world that makes people start talking about source code. (laughs) (laughs) Source code two announced. (laughs) Like trending on Twitter. Source code. 
<laughs> well, I mean, at this point, your phone has probably heard you say it just now, and so it's going to add it to the for you topics. <laughs> Here's a bunch of tweets from five years ago about this movie. <laughs> Would you like an article from Screen Rant? That, uh, <laughs> an AI just wrote this for you. he's got a targeted article (laughs) all right well i guess i'm just gonna assume that it's two hours of jake gyllenhaal debugging assembly but (laughs) i think that's all what we kind of want it to be i assume so yeah i assume around sometimes he gets up and gets like coffee and stuff but with the cons yeah (laughs) sometimes he runs his fingers through his hair and he's just like well the checksum works out but it's clearly not compiling Thanks, everyone, for listening to our show. Make sure to check out our website, GobeskiWallsReport.com. And don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter. Just follow us at GWReport. And we're on the Facebook as well, just like our page, The Gobeski Walls Report. I kind of forgot what was happening. <laughs> it's always so hard with the Twitter, with, like, the at. Like, you don't have to say at, do you? I don't know. That's a question for the listeners to decide. This week we are reviewing the movie Fantastic Planet, which was... Let's let's go with discussing instead of reviewing. (laughs) Oh, well, I was going to really, you know, tear (laughs) into it, but I guess. I'm introducing number grades at the end. (laughs) (laughs) So today we have three frisky guests with us. We've got Not fantastic. No, yeah, fantastic is just fantastic. There, man. Hey, we've used me. fantastic. <laughs> we could go with wild. <laughs> yeah, wild. You call us sauvage guests. <laughs> <laughs> Or we could not do this for the sci-fi shuffle. This is an option. I think we've introduced a new bit where I keep doing it, even though Adam says I shouldn't be doing it. (laughs) Yeah, you also didn't start over your we're going to discuss statement, so we don't know what we're doing.